Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I am really excited today to have Hila Chu. I think I got your name right. Did I get it? Uh, yes. Okay, great. Who previously did growth at Growth Hackers, was the VP of growth at Acorns, which I'm sure many listeners here are familiar with. And I'm really excited to dig in around like building growth culture and processes within a company that may not have done it before. So Hila, if you want to give a quick intro of yourself beyond what I said, we can go ahead and jump into the topic right after that. Of course. Thank you, Matt, for having me. So I was originally from China, came to US in the age of 25, getting my MBA here. I studied biology in college, but then after my MBA, I switched into the world of business, working in analytics first. The main reason is that I was not very good at doing experiments in the lab. I caused explosions and kind of <laughs> polluted a lot of very expensive cells. So I figured I should just do something that can cause less damage. After working in analytics, I realized that I want to analyze data, but I want to do something about it. So I get a chance to move into growth, started at Growth Hackers and then Acorns, building a growth team there. So I'm really excited here to, to share what I have learned and experienced with all of you. That is awesome. I love how you started off doing experiments and then wound up in a world where you're doing experiments again, just less risky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, great. So I, I love what you touched on with Acorns, because when we were talking before this, you had mentioned that Acorns hadn't necessarily been doing any sort of growth before. And I think this is how most growth teams start up, right? They join or or get rolled out in a company that's been relatively established to have some product market fit. And I went through this process of drift, right? We had product market fit, and then we wanted to spin up a growth team. There are a lot of hurdles that come along with that. And I think that most growth professionals go through these hurdles. And it's not necessarily a thing that gets talked about a lot. I'd love to just kind of start from the top. When does a company like Acorns decide it's time to start doing growth? Yeah, that's a great question. I wasn't actually hired to run and start a growth team. So the role I was hired for, the title is Director of Retention. It is actually a CRM marketer type of role. And I took the role, I kind of intentionally reshaped it into a more growth role that's more holistic and uh, gradually build up a full funnel growth team from there. I think for Acorns, like you mentioned, for a lot of companies, growth is a new thing usually they introduce after uh, PMF. I think from my observation, usually it happened at two times. One is that the company is trying to grow much faster. They found PMF. They really want to accelerate the growth. Those companies are behind the curve. They are trying to do better. The other case is when it become really hard to grow, when they hit a wall, whatever they used to do, maybe paid channel, all of that doesn't seem to work anymore. They need to figure out new solutions out of pain. For Acorns, it's more like the first case. They were doing very well in terms of growth and organic and, and paid. They were trying to proactively enhance the area of retention, which is actually a great area for a growth practitioner to dive into. And I was hired into that role and gradually transitioned that into a more like a holistic growth team. Got it. So 
were you brought on with the intention that you would eventually probably spin up a growth team? Yes. Oh, wow. How did that conversation go down? Like, what did that evolution look like to the point that you said, all right, it's time to officially make this a growth function? Yeah. So even though the job description is more of a CRM marketer type of role, during my interview, I talked with my manager at that time. Basically, I laid out all the possible levers to improve retention and CRM, like sending customers another email or sending them another push notification, even though they are an important lever and channel, they're really just a small piece of the entire picture, right? You and I both know in order to improve retention, there are much strong levers you can pull inside the product, whether it's customer onboarding, whether it's remove a lot of frictions from preventing people from using your most important feature or confusing people, or there are something else. So I think during the interview, I laid out my my thoughts and plan and just test that with him to see whether he actually buy into that and we are aligned. I think he's very supportive, even though I wasn't hired into a more specific growth type of role. He knows my manager and I are aligned. That's something I want to do. I still have to jump over a lot of hurdles because I didn't have a team. I didn't have all the resources required to be successful. But I, I think that's that's what makes it so fun and challenging and learn a lot throughout the way. So you started up doing this growth work and it was basically just you. Yes, it's just me. Got it. And so you got some buy-in from leadership and it's time to start doing growth just you. What is your first goal that you set for yourself? Is it to get a win? Is it to find a way to convince an engineer to start working on something? Do you do something without engineering resources? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the first goal, I would say there are mainly three things that I tried to do during my early days. The first thing is I did kind of a quick assessment of the environment and the situation. So I identified some good things, I identified some bad things, and I basically take record of the situation. Some good things I observe, again, like my manager, he's very supportive, gave me a lot of freedom. The team is very open-minded, even though Acorns hasn't done that before. I didn't experience a lot of resistance. People are generally interested in learning new things. Another good thing is the product has very strong PMF. Usually that's a really good sign. Also, the company has like some tools and historical data in place. Like we had Optimizely and stuff like that. Just nobody has used it so much. So in terms of the bad, again, I don't have resource and team. The company doesn't have an established process to run experiments. The data-driven decision-making, A-B testing culture isn't there yet. And generally, the understanding of growth, A-B testing, the knowledge is still pretty kind of early. For example, I asked basically what have we tested before? And I was shown kind of experiment that was done before one of the only few, which is changing the withdrawal page. Like when you withdraw money from an investment account, changing that page to red entirely, making it very prominent, like a stop sign and you shouldn't withdraw. It didn't work well, obviously, but the company actually has done something like that before. So 
I basically assess the situation, and and it's not so bad. There are some great foundations that's already there. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is really, as you mentioned, I really want to get an early win. And whenever you can get an early win, that changes everything. After that, everything become much easier. So I don't have any resources. One thing I have to do is to make my whatever initial experiments successful. The way I did that is really make sure I can dig into historical data, talk with the existing team to really get a really really high quality hypothesis. Because if I can use existing data, if I can get any existing insights to back up my hypothesis, I can greatly increase my chance of winning. And with that, because as a new person, I I don't have a lot of shots, and I don't have resources, so I cannot ask a very big change, and it didn't generate any results. So basically, I make sure my hypothesis is really rounded around backed by data, and also make sure the change I did is really small, so that I can get engineer to support me relatively easily, and I basically. Try to make a lot of friends in the company and beg my friends and engineers and designers to help me launch a small test. The first test I launched is really a really small test in registration flow, just some simple copy change. But with that, I was able to like almost double the conversion rate at that step. And when that was successful, it make it much easier for me to get a little bit more resources to do the second test and then the third test. And eventually, kind of build up the team. So I would say the early win is the most important thing. The third thing to get early win, I, I need to kind of find allies in the company. And I basically talked with a lot of people, trying to understand how they think about where are the opportunities, what are the things they know that that haven't been maybe tested or executed, and. And through that, I build some allies who are willing to support me in giving me dev resources, design resources. Yeah, I think that's the three things: basically assess the situation, get early win, build allies and friends. Yeah, I think the get the early win part is really interesting because the way that you approached it, it's not about like where can I make the biggest impact. It was purely about let me get some proof that this process is going to work because that is just going to make all of the next steps after that much easier. Yes. As a new person, it is actually very hard and also very risky trying to get maybe six engineers to build a huge change for you. It's highly likely that it will fail and then it's not helping you in the long term. I think it's a good idea to focus on something that for sure will work or very likely to work, even though the impact isn't huge. In my case, the impact is actually huge. But I would say if you you are comparing between kind of something you can do for sure that will work versus something you don't know that will work but may have huge impact, I will always prioritize the easier early wins. Would you give that same advice to any new person on any growth team? Or do you think that that is specifically a thing you should do if it is a brand new growth team? I actually think that's that's something uh, you should do at any growth team or even at any team. Like, I feel like 
like getting an early win, even if it's small, it's a such a great way to establish yourself in a new organization and also get trust from everyone and just kind of build that great first impression in kind of growth. We all know ARR and activation is so critical. I think as a new employee, your your initial period is also your activation period of time. You need to activate yourself. And the best way to do that is deliver some results, even though it's small. Obviously, it will vary if you are in a growth team or a product team or marketing or sales team. But I think that generally should apply. Let's go through what you did there. So you got to win. And then what does it look like to get the rest of the organization more growth-minded. From my experience, it was a lot of tough conversations to really help educate. Like It's a lot, a lot of educational experiences. I wonder if it was the similar thing for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, it's similar. I think my biggest learning working at Acorns is that I used to have this assumption that if you deliver results, if you're generating awesome improvement in the metrics, resources and help and support will all come and you're able to just do growth without any friction. I was proven wrong. That's actually my biggest learning. So I showed great results in my early days and I continue to demonstrate results. But very quickly, I realized that generating results is not enough to make sure your team or, or start a growth team successfully. Growth, especially beyond the initial kind of quick experiment stage, is much more about culture, about people, about kind of education, like you mentioned. So I think manager at that time helped me a lot. And and he pointed me to the directions to not only continuously showing results, but also uh, sharing the results and, and using that way to really educate and building trust among the company. So I did a couple of things. The first thing I tried is I started a Slack channel and begin to share experimental results there weekly. It's not only the results, it's almost like the full experiment report. I talk about why we did this. What is the hypothesis? I talk about what are the metrics we're aiming to to improve. And one thing I think that's very effective is that I always show basically version A, version B, version C, all the different versions and without telling people which one works better. And in Slack, I did I do a quick pull and asking them to vote which one they think is the winner. And basically, I'm like, I give you five minutes to vote. And after five minutes, I, I will come back to, to tell you the answer. And that attracted a lot of people to vote. And a lot of people are proven wrong, of course, as you probably know, like sometimes we're just so confident about ourselves and we're proven wrong all the time when doing experiments. I think that actually began to plant the seed in, in my team's mind that actually you never know. A lot of times like you have to test, you really don't know which one will perform better. From that, I begin to share and educate. I also did a something called win or learn newsletter, something similar, but via email to the entire company. Uh, I talk about what are the wins. And also, if it doesn't work, what is our learn? And I think people really love that. And a lot of people 
even in kind of a team I never worked with, replied that email to me and telling me how much they appreciate that. And it's not only about seeing the results and just see how it works. It's really helpful. Along with that, I also did a lot of sharing and meeting with the executive team because they need education too. Again, similar thing. Whenever I ask them to guess whichever is better and they begin to find that they are not always right. I think that gave them the insight that, oh, maybe I should let Hila to run the test rather than just decide for the team which one is better. So constantly sharing the learning, repetition, a lot of that education, a lot of that. I think over time, this mindset begin to really take a hold among the team all the product teams begin to do A-B testing and a lot of people are really excited about this. Yeah, I love that because you didn't approach educating them as just showing like, here's what happened. You took everyone along on the journey of learning together, right? You made it this team learning activity rather than uh, you just posting, this works, that worked, this didn't work, this didn't work. Yeah, yeah. I, I think when you have people engaged in it, they can get it much faster, right? It's not a kind of you try to force this on them. It's more like they went through this themselves and they were proven right or wrong. I think that's much better in terms of for people to begin to get that mindset. So you're educating the team. People are getting more and more bought in and you're beginning to grow out and evolve a growth team because you have all this buy-in, what does the structure look like for that early first team? And then how has that evolved? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the very first team is me, just myself. And I begin to, as I show those results using borrowed engineer resources, I begin to get engineers and designers part-time. And then from there, I adopted the CRM marketing team as well, because a lot of the things we're doing in user onboarding in product actually have a parallel track in CRM marketing. And I have that experience as well. So we kind of grow the team a little bit bigger in that way. And towards the end, the, the growth team is really much more full funnel. We have growth product team which include gross product managers, engineers, dedicated designers, analysts. We also have user acquisition team, which is more kind of channel managers and marketers. And together, this team has both engineer resources, the PM side, as well as the marketer and acquisition side. And we are able to really launch a lot of experiments throughout the user journey and really have that full funnel view to really drive user growth. And then what does the day-to-day sort of look like for that team in the different stages of you're adding all these other roles and you have analytics and all that stuff? Does the day-to-day change a lot or is it relatively the same? It just gets easier for everyone to operate. I think the day-to-day did change. Initially, when it's just myself and maybe an engineer and designer, we are much more close-knit. Like the, the communication is much more fluid and we sometimes don't even have very structured like uh, process because we can just make changes very quickly within the small team. That's really awesome. But as I scale the team, 
that doesn't work anymore. We have to have more established processes. So I think towards the end, we have figured out a really good cadence and processes. So every day we have daily stand-up. That doesn't only apply to the gross product team, that also apply to the user acquisition team as well. So I ha- I attend two stand-ups between the two teams. I think the, the benefit of applying that similar agile methodology to UA team is that we're able to actually look at the, the UA metrics very closely, talk about what campaigns and creatives worked best and make quick changes as well there. So Every day we have daily stand-ups. Initially, we had weekly growth meeting or weekly experiment meeting. Basically, where we talk about what are the metrics, how are the metrics doing, uh, what are the experiments we analyzed and what we learned from it. And gradually, when the team becomes bigger, that becomes bi-weekly because each of the team has their own kind of sub-weekly experiment meeting, and we have a big one across the team so that everyone can learn from each other. In my observation, user acquisition team and growth product team and marketing team, those teams traditionally in most companies are separated. In Acorns team, we're all together, and there is tremendous benefit to that structure because For example, the UA team tested ads in Facebook and saying, oh, this type of language or this type of concept really resonated well with customers. The gross product team and user onboarding flow can really use that. Again, the email drip campaign can really use that as well. So the learning is quickly kind of shared among those teams and the win get amplified. It's not only just 2% better in ads conversion, it's 2% better in onboarding and 2% better in email conversion as well. So I think that's really beneficial. From there, we have a quarterly OKR process. Every quarter, we have a company OKR and KPIs that get kind of break down into departmental OKR and growth team has our quarterly OKR. And then we we use our growth model to break that further into metrics that each of the team need to work against. For example, the UA team is mostly focused on new customer acquisition. The growth product team can be focused on registration completion rate or new user activation rate but they also have some linkage between each other because the new user traffic quality actually have an impact on kind of the new user registration rate and activation rate. So basically quarterly, we use the OKR process and we monitor that every week. And that also inform a lot of our daily actions as well. That is a great run through of the whole setup. I I really appreciate you going into detail there. What is a very specific thing that a brand new person starting up a growth team at any given company? Is there some very consistent thing that they can use to be successful in their role? Yeah, I think the first thing I would suggest is try to understand the company's dominant culture. I learned that from, I think, actually one of Brian Balfour's blog post. And I think it's really insightful. So many companies have different dominant cultures. Some companies are really product dominant. Some companies are really design dominant. And each company is different. I think you need to understand for your company, which culture is more dominant. That just gave you kind of a perspective in understanding things. 
And then you should position yourself as there to help whatever the dominant team or and everyone else to be more successful. I talked with Siqi Chen, who was former VP of growth at Postmates. And I really love what he talked about, kind of how to be a successful growth person. Basically, he has this idea that I'm here to make you more successful. I'm not here to be a hero or, or whatever. I'm really helping you to, if you're a product manager, I'm helping you to get your feature used by more people. If you're a designer, I'm here to help you get some quantitative understanding of the aesthetic and design, the more softer aspects of product. So position yourself as a friend and ally rather than kind of a lone hero trying to change everything and, and make everyone else look bad and only you look good. Then pick some areas that nobody own. Like for example, at Acorns, new user onboarding in product isn't kind of specifically owned by the product team. And I, I pick that up and begin to launch a lot of experiments. That's the least friction area I can find. I think in general, growth team have to rely on a lot on data analytics. And I would add UX researchers. We need to really rely on them to help inform opportunities, generate insights. I think they, they really should be your best friends. I think one thing I will add is just don't feel it's kind of personal. I talk with a lot of growth practitioners through my role at Growth Hackers, and I continuously to have conversations with growth practitioners. I think the feeling of you have to overcome a lot of hurdle is now rare. It's sometimes common because in order to do anything new, it's hard. And especially when marketing and product and a lot of other functions are there for maybe 20 years, growth is really just here for a couple of years. So it is a hard, but I think it is also exciting and interesting trying to implement change and be a change maker. Just don't feel it's to you. It's really something you can take a different perspective and make it very successful. That is some great advice to end on. Thank you. All right. With that, I think we'll, we'll wrap this up. Hila, thank you again so much for joining on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And for all of you listening, if you're still listening at this point, because you know this is when I wrap up the episode, thank you. I really do appreciate it. Uh, if you have any feedback, any questions, suggested speakers, anything like that, my email is matt at drift.com. would super appreciate a subscribe. And if you're a fan, a review, I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.